Well, welcome everyone. I'm glad that we can worship together today. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. I'm so glad that you can be part of our congregation remotely today. We're continuing our series looking at our covenant affirmations, and these are uh, six core beliefs, core values that guide our life together in our denomination. And today we're going to look at an affirmation uh, and root our conversation in this passage in First Peter, the affirmation being the necessity of new birth in Christ. You know, it is very significant, the family and context into which we are born. That determines a lot about our life, does it not? Many of you know that a number of years ago, Julie and I had a chance to be down in Guatemala to learn from some missionaries uh, down there. And we had one experience that has always really stuck with me as a reminder of the significance of where we are born. We were working with some missionaries who were reaching out to a group of people who were living off uh, the garbage heap in the center of Guatemala City. They scavenged for a living, and there was this very heartbreaking scene as uh, these families were positioning themselves around these garbage trucks as they came in to try and get first dibs, to try and find something of value to be able to sell. And I I just remember this moment where our mentor said, you know, the only reason we're standing off to the side here and we're not one of those folks scavenging to try and survive is because of the birth certificate that we have. It it was an important moment that just reminded us again about uh, the sense of entitlement we sometimes have that apart from where we were born, things could have looked very different, could look very different for us. Today in our text, I want to speak this hopeful word that in Christ we have been born into a new family of origin, and this has significant, powerful ramifications for our lives, for our lives currently and our lives in the future. We read in our text today, praise be So the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We see the excitement, the enthusiasm from our writer. Praise be to God, in his great mercy, we have been born into a new family. What I want to explore with you today is the significance this has for our lives. What does it mean for us to be born anew as sons and daughters of Christ? I believe that this has the potential to radically change our life both now and into eternity. So I I noticed a couple things about the significance of this birth. And the first thing I, I, I notice in our text today is that this new birth gives us access to a new hope. A new hope. We read in our text that we have been born again into a living hope. This was a new dimension of this metaphor, this reality of being born again as I was studying this week, that this sets our lives on a trajectory of of hopefulness. You know, imagine for a moment that you were born into extreme poverty and and then had a radically life-altering circumstance where you were adopted into a family of great privilege, right? Imagine an orphan growing up in the garbage heaps of Guatemala suddenly found themselves the sons and daughters of a rich American CEO. You know, just imagine the, the change of life that that would bring for that person. 
that they now had a, a life with a hope and a future. They had possibilities, opportunities because of this radical change of family. In our text today, we read what this hope looks like, and it goes on in verse 4 to say that we have now an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This actually goes beyond the metaphor of being adopted into a family of privilege, for this inheritance that we have will not perish. It will not get washed out with the stock market crashes or be taken away due to tragedy. This is actually a deeper hope. As we become sons and daughters of God, our future is filled with hope, for we have an inheritance that will actually follow us beyond the threshold of death itself into eternity. The writer of First Peter uses all kinds of language to describe this inheritance. We will have the, the salvation of our souls. We will experience forgiveness, eternal life with Christ, acceptance from God himself. And that is meant to instill within us a deep hopefulness. Now, I believe that this has deep significance for how we navigate the various trials that we face this side of heaven. And First Peter, uh, this book, is written to a people who are suffering. Our text says they're suffering all kinds of trials, facing grief because of all kinds of trials. And this hope that we have, I think, has the capacity to sustain us through a broken world, through a sinful world, as we live with that deeper hope. Now, what's significant in our text is how Peter addresses these people who are suffering. They're facing persecution. They're facing economic vulnerability, violence. And this is what we read in in our text. It says in verse 6, "...you greatly rejoice." Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I want you to notice something really significant about what is being claimed in this passage, in this verse. It's a very powerful statement. Notice that there is a capacity here to greatly rejoice, even though now, currently, we are continuing to suffer. That rejoicing and grieving can coexist. This is pointing to a deeper hope than many of the things we place our hope in. This is a a hope that transcends our circumstances. You know, often the hope that we hold on to in hard times is that it will eventually get better. Or will we get over it? I, I can have hope because the sickness will end or there's some change in circumstances coming. But that's not what our writer is saying in, in 1 Peter 1, six. It's saying that even now, present tense, we are suffering, we can still greatly rejoice. Because there is a hope that is rooted in something beyond our circumstances. It is this eternal hope, a hope that will not spoil or fade, a hope kept in heaven for us. In my study this week, I came across a a reference to an important book by Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, and it encouraged me to go back and reread part of that book this week. Viktor Frankl wrote this as a reflection on his time in the, the Nazi death camps. He survived Auschwitz, and as he looked back on that experience, he, as a psychoanalyst, a psychologist, was writing about how people 
responded to the, the depths and, and the worst of human suffering. And there were multiple responses, as you can imagine. Some people were overcome by the pain and the suffering. Some became deeply angry. Some people understandably gave up hope. He told the story of one man who had thought he had this vision that there would be liberation on March 30th of 1943. And Viktor Frankl, as he walked with this man, noticed that when, when he realized that wasn't going to happen, his health slowly deteriorated. And he gave up hope, and he actually ended up dying on the very day uh, that he had hoped he would be liberated. On March 30th, his whole body shut down. There was just this, this giving up of, of hope. There was no hope to sustain him anymore. But what F- Viktor Frankl noticed was that those who were able to be resilient in this deep suffering were those that had something to hope in, a hope that would sustain them through the pain. And for some people... There was the hope of reuniting with their loved ones or regaining their career, their past lives. But even that hope had its limits, and he followed up with some survivors after. And those who had placed their hope in in these temporary things of, of coming back to their old life often faced a deep depression in recovery because those things didn't come to fruition. Things weren't the same. What Frankel noticed was that those who had the deepest resilience were those that had a spiritual hope, a hope beyond these current circumstances. And so he writes in in the text, I'm going to go back a slide here, life only has meaning, he concluded, if we have a hope and a meaning that suffering and death cannot destroy. Can we see the significance of what this new birth offers us? Is that we now have a hope that sustains us, that we can find joy even though currently we face deep pain because there is a deeper hope, a bigger angle view of what's true. There's an eternal hope that we can live for even though we suffer. And so this new birth is into a living hope. Notice that qualifier, a living hope, not a temporary hope. Next thing I want to notice about the the gift of this new birth is that we are given access to new resources. New resources. Now, there is both an eternal perspective in this passage, this eternal hope that is kept in heaven for you. But there's also a present reality that changes. Now, to think of our metaphor again about someone in deep poverty being adopted into a family of privilege, they would not only have a great inheritance waiting them at the end of their life, they would also have access to a whole new life here and now. Just imagine access to health care, access to education, to shelter, to nutrition, to food, to all these things. They have the resources of this new family of origin at hand. Currently, life begins to look very different. And that's what we read uh, as we go on in our text in verse 5, that the writer of 1 Peter not only speaks to this eternal hope, but also now speaks in the present tense, that these people who through faith are present tense are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So we both await this future hope, but until then, present tense, we are now shielded by the power of God. 
As part of the good news of the gospel, friends, that it's not just good news for when you die. But the, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is breaking into our world. God is in our midst. And we have access to the resources of our Heavenly Father. His power is with us to shield us, to sustain us, to encourage us, even though we walk now through the valley of the shadow of death. Those of you who have kids can tap into that experience, no doubt, that we desire good things for our children. We want the best for them. We want to provide for them, give them opportunity. And and Jesus picks up on that in the Sermon on the Mount and says, you though you are sinful do this, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Does that perhaps come as, as good news to you today? that the resources of God are now at hand, that we don't just await this future hope, but God's power is in our midst. And we're going to talk more about this next week as we reflect on the gift of the Holy Spirit. But there is both a future and a present tense hope of being born again into this living hope to be called sons and daughters of God. Which leads to this last observation that I, I notice in our text, that we are now given birth into new possibilities. There are new possibilities for how life can look because we are born anew in Christ. You see, the the metaphor that I've been using about this orphan adopted into a place of privilege actually falls short. Because what we discover in our text is that we are not simply just given new paperwork, we are actually given new life. This biblical teaching about being born again speaks to the regeneration of our life, that we are born of water and spirit. It says in our text in verse 19, if we kept reading, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. What this means for us is that as we are born anew in Christ, our lives are actually transformed by his word and by his power so that we can begin to live a new kind of life. We are not just given new paperwork. We are given new life. We are, as Paul says, new creations. Paul speaks about how we are all originally sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and we bear the mark of of the fall that we have those patterns of dysfunction of sin in our lives. But as we are born of God, we learn to be regenerated, and we now become sons and daughters not of Adam, but of the new Adam of Christ. Which suggests that life can change. And if we had kept reading our text, First Peter 1 goes on to say this, Therefore very important word. I've said this before. Whenever you see a therefore, you ask what it's there for. It's pointing back, right? Therefore, in light of being born again into a living hope, now life looks different. Let's look at what it, what it could be like. Therefore, in light of our new birth, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had. When you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. First Peter goes on to call this early church to a very counterculture way of living. A life of holiness, a life to be set apart, 
The the letter speaks about uh, these people learning to live lives of courage in the face of suffering, to live lives of love, of sacrifice, of care for one another. But we need to realize that it all hinges on that word, therefore. The rest of the letter wouldn't make sense if it wasn't for 1 Peter 1.3. It is because we are born again into a living hope that we no longer need to live a life lives that are constantly conformed to the patterns of evil that are so deeply ingrained because of our first birth. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this section of First Peter. He says this, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better than you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into the way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. Does that perhaps name where some of you are today? Do you feel the frustration and the futility of slipping back into those old grooves of evil? (laughs) The imprint of Adam is deep within us, and we've embodied patterns and and behaviors that we easily slip back into. Perhaps that's been a struggle for you this last week. And Paul acknowledges in his own reflection that this new birth doesn't mean we don't still wrestle with the old nature. There is this battle, and this is a slow growth as we are conformed into new patterns. But the hope of new birth is that God is forging new patterns, pulling us out of those, those grooves and refashioning new patterns of living, patterns of holiness, patterns of love, as we allow his word to reshape and to reform us. There are new possibilities, friends, for a life where we can throw off the sin that so easily entangles a life that isn't working for us as we allow this new birth to regenerate and reform us. We recall that this metaphor of being born again suggests that we are like children again. And that's a humble image, right? It it suggests that we are dependent on something beyond ourselves. And it's, and it's an image that suggests that there is now a trajectory before us. New birth initiates us into a life of growing up in Christ. That we are, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, now called to grow in maturity as children of Christ, to mature into the fullness of Christ. There are new possibilities as we allow this work to be done in our hearts, in our bodies, in our minds. And so our our covenant affirmations write this, new birth is only the beginning. Growing to maturity in Christ is a lifelong process for both individuals and communities of believers. God forms and transforms us, and it is through people transformed by Christ that God transforms the world. Friends, new birth means there are new possibilities for us personally, for our life corporately, but then also for our world that God wants to restore and renew through us. Now there is grace, and we struggle, as Paul did, as we are on this journey of formation. And 
I've heard at times some people say, well, if my inheritance is kept for me in heaven, why all the hard work of transformation? (laughs) Why don't I just wait till then? And I, I believe there is grace for us, even if we continue to struggle as we slip back into our old ways. But I will say this, friends. This is a a quote from Willard. He says to those who would say, well, I'm already saved for heaven, so why go into all the effort of changing? And Willard says, that's all good and well, but what makes you think you want to spend eternity with someone you don't want to have anything to do with now? (laughs) What actually is your picture of heaven? I think if we have that perspective, we've lost the sight of the good news, that part of the good news is not just that we're forgiven, but that we can live a life that works now, a life of abundance as we are born anew and reshaped and refashioned by our Heavenly Father. So if you are excited to go to heaven, the good news is that you can begin now to experience the kingdom of heaven on earth. We can begin this process of living a life that works. So I hold up this this hopeful promise, friends, that in Christ there is this gift of great mercy of being born into a living hope. It means that we now have a new hope. We have the resources of the kingdom of God at hand that we can begin to step into a life marked by new possibilities, lives of holiness, lives of love, Now, for some of us, perhaps, this feels a little bit out of reach as we imagine experiencing a new kind of life. I want us to notice who the writer of our text is addressing. It may feel as if this is all and good for those who are in leadership, for super-Christians, for those who, who are the bishops and the leaders, but... I want you to notice the you being addressed in our text. And we actually have to go back a couple verses to verse verse 1. The you is to all God's people, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, to God's elect scattered among Bellingham, Linden, Ferndale. This invitation is to you. And that is where our covenant affirmations are are so helpful. And and the early covenanters said that this is a necessity. This isn't just an option for the professionals, for the clergy class, but all people, the priesthood of all believers, are invited into this transformative walk with God. There's so much more for us. Being a, a Christian is not just getting our facts right. It's not just attending services. But there is this necessity that we would live this new life in Christ, this opportunity. And so, friends, I extend this good news to you that it says in John chapter 1, if, that we, if we call upon the name of Jesus, we are given the right to be called sons and daughters of God. We have a new family of origin. We have a new hope. We have new possibilities you know, many of us have called upon God for that, and, and perhaps today we just need to remember the good news, remember the hope that we have. And for others who perhaps have, have not made that, that commitment, I simply would invite you to call upon the name of Jesus, for he gives you this opportunity to be born again. 
Friends, may we rejoice and celebrate for in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you for your love for us. I pray that you would instill within us a deep uh, longing for this new life that you have offered us. Where we find ourselves slipping back into those old grooves of evil, would you, by your power and strength, pull us out and pull us and refashion us into a God-shaped life. And as we now come to your table, I pray that we would be reminded that apart from you, we can do nothing. But you are the bread of life who nourishes us and sustains us and equips us for new life. Meet us now, Lord, as we come to this table. Amen.